Preach up there. All right, you're you got me? Timothy, get up on stage and preach. I don't want to fall off and break my neck. <laughs> Melody, you said so good on that unceasing prayer. Man, last night it's like she chopped it up like liver. I mean, she did so good. Wow. She, uh, before I begin to speak, let me uh, recognize a wonderful uh, friend, and we consider her a daughter. Uh, Ashley, we stand up and just wave to everybody. We're glad to have Ashley here. But many of you remember Ashley was a part of the church for many years. She was a single, and then she met her wonderful husband, Tom, who was a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy and for many years in active duty in the Navy, and then uh, they got married, and he's, uh, uh, what's, what's the other term, not active duty, but in, in active duty. And then after they've been married about a year, bingo. The Navy calls him back to active duty. He's somewhere across the world, somewhere right now. And so they're separated for a year, and, uh, but she came by to see us on her way, moving to Santa Fe, New Mexico. So we're glad you're here, Ashley. And the year will pass quickly, praise God. It will pass. Uh, <coughs> I brought some of my, my new book today. Last time that I preached back in December, uh, I introduced this book. I, I wrote it. It, it was, came out in the fall. And... Uh, the book sells on, on Amazon for $10, but for Hill Country Church, anybody who wants one, it's just at my cost of $5. And uh, this, this, this book is a life changer. We've already had great testimonies of people's lives being changed uh, by this book. It's, it's the story of Mephibosheth, the crippled son of Jonathan, who's running from King David, hiding in the desert like a reject, not knowing that King David wants to bless him with all the covenant blessings of God. And so uh, it's, it's, it's a great book to give to people who have a problem with their, their self-image, they feel rejected, unloved, unwanted. And so uh, we, uh, if, you, if you buy one of these, read it and then give it to someone who has that problem or loan it to them anyway. I, I just got a large order from Arkansas in which uh, these books are being placed in, the, in foster homes so that children who've been so abused and rejected can get a hold of this message and change their lives. Praise God. So, Beth, Beth will be out, be out there. As we pray for now at this time, I want us to pray uh, for Texas House Bill uh, 896. will come up in the uh, Texas uh, House this week. This, this bill could end abortion in the state of Texas if it passes. This is a, this is a, not, not, when I say that, that's not without a fight. I mean, the baby killers don't like this bill. Let me tell you that. And they'll fight it. But we know the Lord is on our side. This, he, is, he is the God of life, not of death and murder. So uh, let, let's pray for this. It's important because it only comes up in the Texas legislature every other year. You know, the Texas legislature meets every other year. You may not know that, but oh, they do. And uh, if this passes in the state of Texas, I can promise you, the state of Texas will be blessed above all the other states in the union. God's blessings will be resting upon us. So let's pray as we uh, open the Bible. Thank you, Father. We bless you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness. Thank you for the wonderful time of worship this morning, Lord. We just, we just love your presence. We love, to, we love to worship you. God, I just thank you for blessing now uh, all of the, the, the fight, the, those who are warriors in the kingdom who are standing up to, to fight against uh, killing babies. For those who are standing, Lord, for this, this house bill to pass, we pray, God, that you give favor to them, give favor to legislat legislatures who are uh, leaders who are, are in favor of this bill, Lord. We just ask you to bless them 
And God, we just pray for a great victory here for abortion to be stopped in the great Lone Star State that we can be blessed above all the other states in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, those, it's good to see you. The rain didn't run everybody away. Last night we had a real good attendance. I thought today when we started we might have more last night than we did today, but done, done okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, it was a wonderful time of worship, and you don't seem too excited about that. How many of you rather be here than the finest hospital in San Marcos? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I would, wouldn't you, Chris? Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Well, I, I want to begin and uh, talk to you about a little pilgrimage that I've been on for the last uh, three months, about 100 days now. At the beginning of the year, uh, the Lord spoke a word to me. Now, he, he's, he doesn't usually do that with me. A lot of people get a word at the beginning of each year, kind of to put their focus for the year. That doesn't usually happen with me. But it did this year, and this is what he spoke to me. He says, I want you to become more eternity-minded. And the Lord and I began to have some discussion, and he says, do you love the earth? And I said, yes, I do love the earth. I don't love the world. You realize the earth and the world are two very different things. The earth is a globe. It's a beautiful ecosystem. It's filled with trees and rivers and oceans and a, a beautiful place that God has given to us for our temporary dwelling. That's the earth. And I love the earth. The world's a very different thing. The world is an evil system, wicked system, ruled over by a fallen angel named Satan. The world is smoke-filled rooms. The world is crooked politics. The world is all kinds of evil. The world is corruption. The world is pornography. The world is all of that. And the Bible says, love not the world. But we are to love the earth because God has given us the earth as our temporary home. And so I say, yes, Lord, I, I, do, I do love the earth. I love the birds. I love the rivers. I love the mountains. I love the streams. I love everything about the earth. And he said, and so you should. It's your temporary home. But then he, 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 put, the, then he put the real clincher on me. He said, but I want you to learn, learn to love heaven more. And I knew that I didn't. And so my response was, Lord, help me. And he's been helping me on this pilgrimage now that we've been walking for about 100 days. And some would say here this morning, well, wait a minute. I'm not interested in that heaven stuff. Uh, that's pie in the sky by and by. I want heaven on earth now. I want my inheritance on earth now. Well, I want to show you why that's erroneous thinking. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. Or the King James translation is even stronger. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now, listen, this, this is not somebody in a defeated Christian life writing that. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the man who's walked with Jesus. This is the man who's seen visions. This is the man that mighty miracles have been done through. This is the man who loves the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. And he says, but if only in this life we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. And then in Philippians 1 and verse 21, the apostle says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, I'm not sure we believe that sometimes, but to die 
is gain. And what Paul is saying, because it's more of Christ. It's more of Jesus in heaven. To die is gain. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, the apostle says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then in heaven face to face. So our revelation now is only partial. Our view of God is only dimly compared to the full revelation that will come in heaven. Now, I want to show you the real clincher to this thing. For those of you looking at me kind of like a calf at a new gate. Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, the apostle in this, this passage is talking about all the blessings that we have in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. And in verse 13, chapter 1, Ephesians 1, 13, it says, In him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now that word that is translated guarantee in the RSV in the, the King James Bible, it says that it is the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. Or the NIV says it is the deposit of our inheritance. Now, we all know what earnest money is, right? Earnest money is something, if you buy something, put up, buy a piece of property or something, you put down earnest money, which is a guarantee that the rest will be paid. And so... The scripture is telling us here that the Holy Spirit and all that we can experience in the Holy Spirit, dreams, visions, miracles, closeness with God, all that we have experienced in the Holy Spirit, praise God, is nothing but earnest of what is to come. It's just the deposit of what is to come of our inheritance in heaven. You know, I, I've had some great experiences in the Holy Spirit. I mean, there have been times when, when he'd come and got in the car with me. And I think about all those wonderful experiences of the Holy Spirit, and yet the Bible says that's nothing but just earnest money compared to the whole inheritance that will be ours in heaven. I might illustrate it this way. When Beth and I graduated from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, we'd been married about three years at that time, and uh, we decided to celebrate. Now, we had, we, in all of our marriage, we had never been to a steakhouse. We didn't, we didn't have all that much money. We decided we would go to a fancy steakhouse to celebrate graduating from the seminary. So we went to a very nice steakhouse where they got the, you know, the napkin on the arm, white napkins on the table, all that. And uh, we looked at the menu and tried not to look at the price. And uh, our, each ordered a steak. But then before... The meal came out. They brought us each a big, beautiful rib. Uh, what do you call it? Yeah, beef rib. Yeah, big one. It had been barbecued or whatever. Anyway, it was so good. Oh, man, we were just chomping down that rib. This is wonderful. And then I thought, wait a minute. This is just the appetizer. If it's this appetizer is this good, what is going to come next? Praise yeah. God. Well, that's the way it is. The, whole, the Holy Spirit, all that we can experience in God in this world is the appetizer for the big meal coming in heaven. Amen? Amen. All right. Praise God. Now, 
So I guess you figured my subject today is heaven. You're right. I'm going to preach on heaven. Only the second time in 58 years of preaching that I have preached on heaven. And uh, of course what I say will not be exhaustive and complete because the scripture says that I have not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those that love him. So I'm just going to do the best I can, scratch the surface a little bit about heaven. And the first thing I want to talk about, and, and then I'm going to come back and read from the Revelation, but I want to talk about this one first, is that heaven is a prepared place. You remember, on the last night that Jesus was on earth, he says to his disciples, don't be afraid, don't be worried, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I read that, I think, well, why did he have to go to prepare a place? Was not heaven already prepared? Was not heaven already perfect? Why would Jesus have to say, I'm going to prepare a place for you? Well, the answer to that is that heaven was not perfect. It was not. You say, Brother Jimmy, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean by, by that? Uh, a rebellion had taken place in heaven. In eternity past, the worship leader of heaven, one of the three archangels, Lucifer, led a rebellion against the Most High God. He was not content to be a created being. He was not content to be in a place of servitude, but he, was, he wanted the throne. And so he rebelled against God. Now, how many of you realize it's always a bad idea to rebel against God? You're always going to lose. You can't win. And he lost. And it was, this was no minor uprising. It says that a third of the heavenly beings went with him, were caught up in his rebellion, and they were cast out of heaven. And so now Jesus has come into the earth, has lived a sinless life, has died upon the cross, has risen from the dead, and as he comes out of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, the first person that he encounters is Mary Magdalene. And the King James Bible says, uh, Mary, don't touch me. It, that's not the best translation. It's really saying, Mary, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me because I must ascend to your father and to my father. And in that moment, Jesus is in the heavens. And he has taken with him his redemptive blood, which he uses to cleanse the heavenly sanctuary of every taint of Satan's rebellion and then pours out that precious blood upon the mercy seat of heaven where it now speaks better things than the blood of Abel. You say, well, Brother Jimmy, now where did you get that? Right out of the Bible. Uh, let's look in Hebrews chapter 9. I'll show you Hebrews chapter 9. I'll begin reading in, in, in verse 18. And the writer of Hebrews says, Hence even the first covenant was not ratified without blood. Speaking of the, the old covenant. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then verse 23, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. 
Now, the Bible plainly teaches us that Moses' tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle, was simply a copy of the heavenly sanctuary. It was a physical replica, scaled-down model of the sanctuary in heaven. And the writer says that this copy had to be purified by blood. Now now look what he says. But the heavenly thing themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into a sanctuary made with hands, a copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And so the earthly tabernacle had to be purified with the blood of bulls and goats. But the heavenly sanctuary could not be purified with the blood of bulls and goats. It had to be with the precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, and he cleanses the heavenly sanctuary, sprinkles his blood upon the mercy seat of heaven so that the heaven that we now enter is a perfect place. It is a prepared place where there is no crying, no sorrow, no death, no pain, no sickness, praise God, but a wonderful, wonderful prepared place for us. He's going to prepare a place for us, praise God. All right, now I'm going to read from the book of the Revelation. And I'm going to read a good bit of chapter 21 and a little bit of chapter 22. And then we'll come back and talk about the things that are spoken of in in the Scripture. I'm going to begin reading in Revelation 21 and verse 10. And the Scripture says, And in spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like like a jasper, clear as crystal. And it had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them the names the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its breadth, and he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and breadth and height are equal. Now, twelve thousand stadia is about fifteen hundred miles. So this heavenly city is fifteen hundred miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep. It's a perfect cube. He also measured his wall, 144 cubits, or about 200 feet by a man's measure, that is an angel's. And the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth cornelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amherst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light shall the nations walk, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. 
and its gates shall never be shut by day, and there shall be no night there. They shall bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean shall enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God. For those of us who are fishermen, we're glad to know that there's a river there. Uh, now, we know this, there's no death in heaven, so it has to be all catch and release, Bill. It's all catch and release. So this river is flowing from the throne of God through the middle of the street of the city. And also on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And there shall no more be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall worship him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and night shall be no more. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Wow. That's quite a description, isn't it? Let me point out a few things about this place called heaven. First of all, it's a spacious place. It's a spacious place. 1,500 miles long, wide, and deep. That's big. Now, whether that's a literal number or symbolic number, we know there's much symbolism in the book of the Revelation, but what it's saying is it's a big place and there's room for everyone. Amen. Room for everybody. Praise God. Whosoever will may come. We used to sing a chorus at some of the camps that I went to, like Chris was talking about today, that there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for me. Let me tell you this this morning, there's room in heaven for you. There's room there. It's a spacious place. Second, it's a beautiful place. We're told that the city, not just the street, but the city is made of pure gold. Wow. Now that's 24 karat gold, or better. I don't know what the, has, has measured there. But 14 karat gold is not pure gold. 14 karat is an alloy, about 52% pure gold. But this city is built of pure gold. And, you know, in this world, so often when men look at gold, they see greed. But when we look upon those golden streets and that golden city, we're going to see God. Amen? We'll see God. Praise the Lord. And then the gemstones. Did you, did you get those gemstones, those 12 gemstones that I was reading about? Uh, I didn't know what all of them looked like. But today, it's easy to figure it out. I just took my phone, Chris. <laughs> Type in whatever stone I want to look at, and pretty soon it pops up, and there's a picture of it. Wow. So I went through all those 12 stones. I said, man. This is a beautiful place. You want to see those stones? You can do it right on your phone. It's so easy. Just pull it up and look at the stones. And it's 12 beautiful gemstones that form the, the foundation of the wall. You know, and when you read that, you have to, have to agree. Our God is aesthetic in nature. He loves beauty. He just loves beauty. You look at this earth. I mean... He could have made a couple of scrawny little old trees with a gray bird that sings a monotone, and that was it. No, 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 no. No. He, he, he's, he so loves beauty. 
Can you just see Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit on the day of creation as they're just creating it all? And, and Jesus says, Father, I think we need some mountains over here. He says, yes, son, put them up there. Big old range of mountains comes up, and the Holy Spirit says, well, I think we need an ocean over here and maybe some rivers. And the Father says, why don't you put some pretty fish in them for, the, for them to catch and all kinds <laughs> of beautiful birds that are flying, everything. I mean, he really, he just outdid himself. That's his nature. It's his nature. You know, I, I've had the privilege of uh, going to some very beautiful places on planet Earth. I've seen, I've seen the sunset on the Serengeti Plains in Tanz Tanzania, East Africa. Wow. But probably the most beautiful place I've ever been on planet Earth is Yellowstone Park. If you've never been to Yellowstone, determine I must go there before I go to the heavenly city. It's absolutely gorgeous. You drive into that beautiful Hayden Valley, and there is the Yellowstone River winding through the valley. There's ducks and geese on the river. There's beautiful meadows of grass growing all, all for, for hundreds and hundreds of yards away from the river. And then up come the mountains on both sides of it. The meadows are filled with elk and bison. It's unbelievable. But I think I'll have to say, anything I've seen on planet Earth will not compare to the beauty that we're going to see in that heavenly city. Amen? It's a beautiful place. Praise God. And then another thing about it, if you notice as we read, it's a gated community. There's 12 gates, right? Each of them are made of a single beautiful pearl. And you're probably aware that the pearl is the only jewel produced by the suffering of a living organism. You know how pearl farmers raise pearls? They take the oyster and under the mantle they slip a little piece of sand, an irritant. And as that sand irritates the oyster, it begins to secrete what we know as mother of pearl to cover up that piece of sand to keep it from being an irritant. And the more mother of pearl that they secrete, the bigger the, the, bigger the thing becomes. And so they secrete more mother of pearl, and the pearl becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until those who are raising cultured pearls go and harvest the pearls. So the pearl is produced by the suffering of a living organism. And so when we see those pearly gates, we know the only way in is through the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean... When, when you come to that gate and that angel looks at you, Bill, and says, why should I let you into my heaven? Bill, you can just point to the gates and say, because my Savior suffered. He took my sins. He died in my place. And because of that, I have faith in him, and I'm going to enter these gates today. And they say, come right on in. Come right on in. Amen. Praise God. So it's a gated community. Another thing about it, it's a prophecy-fulfilled place. Now, I'm, I'm going to read a scripture to you, and I'll see if you can guess where I'm reading from. You may think I'm reading from the Revelation, but I, I'm not. Listen to this. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. You read that you think you're reading from Revelation chapter 22. 
The Garden of Eden was prophetic of the most beautiful garden of the city that was to come, praise God. You notice that both uh, have in them, I mean, you compare it to Revelation 20, they both have the tree of life. That's Jesus. Did you know they, in the garden, God wanted them to eat from the tree of life? He wanted them to. He wanted them to be partaking of Jesus. So there's the tree of life, and then there's all these beautiful fruit trees that are there in, in both places. And then there's the river, the river of life that's flowing through, through the garden and through the heavenly city. And so uh, Eden prophesized the heavenly Eden, praise God. Now, when you think of that, it always, God is always trying to move us back to original intent. Did you know that every major doctrine of the Bible is found in seed form in the book of Genesis? They're all there. He's always trying to move us back to original intent. What was his original intent? That man would live in this beautiful garden in her harmony and that every day he would walk with God, talk with God, fellowship with God, eat of the tree of life. That was God's original intent. And here we are now in the book of the Revelation, the last chapter in the Bible, and God has moved back to original intent saying, that's what I want. That's what I want for all of eternity with mankind. Praise God. And then, obviously, another thing, heaven is a God-filled place. We saw that there was no temple, no sun, no moon, no stars, no darkness, but the glory of God, <laughs> the glory of God was the light of the city. Praise God. I mean, you won't have to pay any electric bills there, not at all. Praise God. His glory is going to light up the place, and I have to think it's going to be awful brilliant, really beautiful. Extremely brilliant. So it's a God-filled place, and God is light, and he has filled the city. And then another thing, let me just touch these quickly. We're almost through. It's a worship-filled place. It said, they'll see his face, and his servants shall worship him. You say, well, Brother Jimmy, do you think we'll do other things in heaven? I don't know. Probably so. But the only thing that's revealed that we'll do, that's actually revealed in Scripture, is that we will worship our God. Praise God. You know, I, I just love to worship God. I love it. I mean, what was happening in here today, I love. I mean, there, there's no honky-tonk on earth that can compare <laughs> to what was happening here this morning, right? I mean, this is awesome. I love to worship God. But I have to admit, though, that in this body... I can get tired, sometimes even hungry, sometimes have to go to the bathroom, you know, all of that. But praise God, we're going to have new bodies there, amen. They'll never grow tired, never get hungry, never have to go to the bathroom. We can just have a 10,000-year praise service if we want to, praise God, and just go right on and on and on and on. We're going to worship Him. And let me just add a little note here. I think if we're going to do a lot of worship in heaven, it would be a good idea to learn how to do it here. Amen? Amen. I, I have a feeling there's going to be some Christians are going to get up there and they're going to have, they're going to, have to have a learning curve. Really. We need, to, we need to learn here how to do it because they're just going to be amplified. Amen? More and more. Wow. Uh, last night I told the illustration of, uh, you know, if heaven was an art museum, thank God it's not, but if heaven was an art museum, whoo, I would be in trouble. Because I don't like to look at art. 
I don't like to go to art museums. I could walk to the Louvre in 15 minutes and say, that's pretty, that's nice, that's good, let's go. And I'm out of there, man, praise God. But if heaven were an art museum, I'd have to be taking some art appreciation classes. And I'd have to be going to some art museums, building up what? Learn, uh, developing appetite for art. And so we need to be learning to worship now, amen, developing appetite for when we'll worship him forever and forever. Praise God. And the last thing, and I hate to kind of end on the negative, but this somewhat is, it's a restricted place. A restricted place. We, so we read that nothing unclean shall enter therein. That simply means not everybody gets in. Matter of fact, we read that there's a 200-foot wall around this 1,500-mile city. A 200-foot wall. And that's the Bible telling us nobody gets in there. It doesn't come through the gates of suffering. I mean, you think about President Trump's wall. It's, that's a dink compared to this. 21-foot wall? Come on. A friend of mine said, I think I'll go to Mexico and open a factory building 22-foot ladders. <laughs> oh, wow. But this is a 200-foot wall. And it's not to keep... Those who are in there from getting out is to keep those who are out from getting in. It's a restricted place. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, I know that to say that, that's not politically correct. Only those who've trusted in Jesus and put their faith in him, that's the only ones that's going to get in this city. That's not politically correct. You watch on television, you know, and some celebrity dies, he just lived the devil's life, you know. I mean, drug addict, you know, woman, womanizer, all of that. And they say, oh, we know he's in a better place. I'm not so sure. Now, let me say this about this restricted place. We don't want any of our family or friends to be locked outside. We want them all with us. Because the only thing you can take with you to heaven is your family, friends, people. Can't take any money, can't take your checkbook, can't take your Ferrari, can't take my best shotgun. None of that is going. None of it. Only I can, the only thing I can take with me is people. Praise God. That ought to wake us up. We need to be gathering, gathering people. Come on, come on. We're going to the city of gold. We're going to the city of gold, and I want you to come with me. It's going to be awesome. We want you to come. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let, let me finish by reading a part of a letter. This, this letter was written to doc, Dr. Charles, uh, Stat, uh, Charles Fuller, who was a California pastor and became the uh, preacher on the Old Time Revival Hour, which was on radio many, many years. Actually, in the 1940s, uh, Charles Fuller preached to 10 million people a week by radio. And says, Charles E. Fuller once announced that he would be speaking the following Sunday on heaven. During that week, a beautiful letter was received from an old man who was very ill. The following is part of his letter. Next Sunday, you are to talk about heaven. I am interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. I didn't buy it. It was given to me without money and without price. But the donor purchased it for me at tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation since the title is not transferable. And it's not a vacant lot. 
For more than half a century, I've been sending materials out of which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been building a home for me which will never need to be remodeled nor repaired because it will suit me perfectly individually and will never grow old. Termites can never undermine its foundations for it rests on the rock of ages. Fires cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed upon its doors, for no vicious person can ever enter the land where my dwelling stands, now almost completed and almost ready for me to enter in and abide in peace eternally without fear of being rejected. There is a valley of a deep shadow between the place where I live in California and that to which I shall journey in a very short time. I cannot reach my home in the city of gold without passing through this dark valley of shadows. But I'm not afraid because the best friend I've ever had went through the same valley long, long ago and drove away all of its gloom. He has stuck by me through thick and thin since we first became acquainted 55 years ago and I shall not lose my way when he is with me. I hope to hear your sermon on heaven next Sunday from my home in Los Angeles but I have no assurance that I shall be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for the journey, no return coupon, and no permit for baggage. Yes, I'm ready to go, and I may not be here while you're talking next Sunday evening, but I shall meet you there someday. Wow. That's pretty good. Let me finish with these two simple thoughts. Number one, we'll live better in this present world if we live with a view of eternity. Get that one. We'll live better in this present world if we live with a view of eternity. And then second, things are not perfect in this present life. Let me stop there just a minute. I think I have a good life, but it's not perfect. In all of us, there are relationships in our lives that we wish were better. With all of us, there are things we have to deal with here that are not pleasant. Dealing with elderly parents, Tom, whatever. So things are not perfect here. But I think that's to make us long for the perfect, for heaven itself. Because we long for the perfect, even though things are not perfect here, praise God, that's, that's, that's causing us to long for that wonderful day in heaven. Praise the Lord. Sing with me. Soon and very soon we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. No more crying there, we are going to see the King. No more crying there, we are going to see the King. No more crying there. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. The gates are made of pearl, and we're going to see the King. The gates are made of pearl, and we're going to see the King. The gates are made of pearl, and we're going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. The streets are paved with gold, and we're going to see the king. The streets are paved with gold. And we're going to see the king. The streets are paved with gold. And we're going to see the king. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the king. You know, when I finished preaching last night, I got two responses from two different people, very different. One was from a younger person who said, you know, I never thought about any of that stuff you talked about. I'm just happy to have a good job. The other, who was a little bit older, said, if a taxi pulled right up in front of this church building right now, and it said, on the side, it said, to heaven, I'd get in. I think we need to live in the light of eternity, praise God. All right, we're going to pray two simple invitations. First of all, anyone here who's not sure you're going to heaven, let's settle that today, amen? Let's settle it today. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss the streets of gold. You don't want to miss a place that's so illuminated with the presence of God that there's no need of the moon or the sun or the stars, praise God. You don't want to miss that. Praise God. So let's get that settled today. Any of you who don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, you say, well, I hope I am. Maybe I will. I don't know for sure. I want you to line up right here in front of me when I give this invitation a minute. And before you leave here, you can be sure that heaven is your home. Amen? Praise God. Second, I want to pray for people today who say, Brother Jimmy, I need to become more eternity-minded. My, my, I'm too much just rooted in the things of this earth. And I need to become more eternity-minded. I want to pray for you. This pilgrimage that I'm on right now, I'm surely not there yet, but I, I'm a long way from where I was 90 days ago as he's just teaching me to become eternity-minded. Praise God. So I'm going to pray. And then any of you that, that don't know for sure you're going to heaven, you run down these aisles. I mean, you run down them so that you can leave here today knowing that heaven is your home. And then I'm going to pray for all of us that we will become more eternity-minded. Father, we thank you and we bless you for the wonderful truth that heaven is our ultimate home. This earth is just our temporary residence. We're not going to be here very long, but heaven is our eternal home. Lord, help us, help us to become more and more acquainted with heaven. Help us more and more, Lord, to, to learn of heaven. Help us more and more to value heaven. Help us, Lord, more and more to just to think of the things that are ours, of our whole inheritance, not just the deposit, but of our whole inheritance that shall be ours in heaven. We give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, anyone that you don't know for sure you're going to heaven, come on up here right now. Well, that takes guts to do that. Come on. We're gonna, we'll, we'll pray for you. Anybody. We'd love to pray for anyone that doesn't know for sure if you're going to heaven or not. Right now, I don't think I'll have people come up here, but those of you who feel I need to become more eternity-minded, would you pray for me? I want you to just slip your hand up. Any that would say, I need to become, yes, a number of hands here are saying, I need to become more eternity-minded. Just keep your hand up. We're going to pray right now. Praise God. Father, we pray for everyone that has their hand lifted. Lord, that you'll begin to put in our heart and our spirit uh, eternity. Cause us, Lord, more and more to think about the eternal things. You said to, that we're to think of the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, not on the things of the earth, not on, not on the things of the present, but to think of all, on, the, on the things that, of Jesus that's seated at the right hand of God. And so, Lord, cause us to be eternity-minded more and more. Make us ready for our eternal home, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. All right, Chris. Let's thank Jimmy for the word today.
I'm going to ask the altar team to go ahead and come up. Um, if you need prayer for anything else at all today, we've got uh, teams up here that would love to pray with you. If you need to see Pastor Jimmy and just get prayed over. Uh, our senior pastors, Tim and Elizabeth Darnell, are in California. So if you want to fly over there and say hi to them this morning, you can. Um, <laughs> normally they're in the back. Uh, but back there, my wife and I will be back there today. So we'll say hi to you. So otherwise, we're out early. Uh, so have a wonderful week. Be blessed.